0: better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term
1: insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: the voice of Simon Fairchild and the eternal tavern keeper. Today, I'm here to tell you about Divisor, a podcast on the RQ Network. Divisor is a dark science fiction audio drama with elements of horror from Harlan Guthrie, the mastermind behind the unsettling and addictive series Malevolent. In this immersive tale, we follow Sun, a young man who awakens aboard a spaceship bound for Earth. ...on a mission to recolonize a desolate planet. However, Sun's journey takes a sinister turn... ...and he discovers unsettling truths about his world and himself. The entire series is available for you to listen to now. Search for Divisor wherever you listen to podcasts. That's D-E-V-I-S-E-R. Or visit www.diviser.ca or www.rustyquill.com for more information.
1: Hi everyone. Alex here with a short bit of context ahead of today's episode... This panel on audio in horror was recorded live in late 2019 at the Pod UK Festival, with raw audio kindly provided by Pod UK. That's all for now. We hope you enjoy the episode.
3: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the horror panel. Um, This is less a panel, more a cartographic expedition, within which myself and my elite colleagues over here will (laughs) attempt to map for you some of the more interesting and innovative elements of modern podcast audio horror. And the best possible thing we can do at the top of every doomed expedition is, of course, take the photo. (laughs) You know, the one where people get crossed out as the polar bears eat them Um, (laughs) See, same wavelength Um, So, what we're going to start off with is introductions And I'll have all of us explain who we are and and what we do and what kind of shows we work on I'll start, I'm Alistair, your moderator for this evening Uh, I co-own the Escape Artists Podcast Network Along with my partner Marguerite Kenner We produce four shows, Escape Pod, which does science fiction Pseudopod, which does horror Cast of Wonders, which does Way A And Podcastle, that does fantasy I host Pseudopod, the horror show For a frankly horrifying amount of time Seriously, I don't want to think about it I think, there's a, I think I'm on the Bayer Tapestry Recording episode 49 <laughs> um, In addition to all of that I also write about the genre a fair amount And I've turned up in several other Voice acting capacities Most recently, uh, as Peter Lucas Who is the unsung hero of the Magnus Archives <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on film. I'm on film doing this this Unsung. time. song. <laughs> Percy, who's queen? <laughs> um... Who, if everyone had listened to nothing bad would have happened not that anything bad happens at the end of the Magnus Archives season 4 and speaking of the Magnus Archives, Alex
1: Hi, Um, so I'm the CEO of Rusticle Limited which is a podcast production company and podcast network and we generate a large number of shows the most relevant of which to this panel is called the Magnus Archives which is a horror series that pretends to be an anthology but it's not Um, and basically I think that's as as success as I can really get so I'll hand
4: over. Uh, hi, I'm Gemma. I'm the CEO of Nothing. Um, <laughs> I uh, write for I write for a number of horror podcasts. I write for the No Sleep podcast. Um, I co-write and voice act in a horror comedy show starring Kate Siegel called Calling Darkness. Um, I am also in a season two of Shadows at the Door which uh, is, uh, Mr. Alt is involved in and various other scary, spooky shows hiding on the internet. Um, I'm also a writer. I write books and novels and various other things. So that's me. This is David. Thank you
0: very much, Gemma. <laughs> yeah. I, as Gemma said, I, I am David. Uh, David Ault. I am a, a voice actor in the No Sleep podcast. Uh, just 48 hours ago, came back off tour. For the European tour, so don't quite know what day it is or where I am, Uh, but I'm also uh, the co-host of Shadows at the Door with Mr. Mark Nixon here, Um, and we do ghost stories, Mr. James-style horror with old uh, stuff that has been adapted and new stuff from writers like Gemma Moore. I'm also on the White Vault and various other things. So uh, yes, that's also Byron. I'm also Byron and the Byron Chronicles, which has been going since 2006. It's
4: me.
0: I know, yes. (laughs) I was fresh out of university and this American guy said, would you like a podcast? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs>
4: <free>. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> then they get you hooked. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, we're going to be fine.
4: <laughs> They're all free.
3: <laughs> so, this is your elite team of completely doomed scientists. So we're going to walk up to the big squamous rugos blob of horror, poke it and see what happens. <laughs> and the, the, I think the first question I want to ask everybody, and I'm going to... Start at the other end and work back. This time
0: is what brings you to genre, to horror in, as a genre in particular. Ooh, I think I arrived at horror via sci-fi. Probably um, one of the uh, reasons I got into voice acting all those many many years ago was Doctor Who. Um, I was it was in the the wilderness years between 1989 and 2005 <laughs> where there was no Doctor Who on TV it a lot yeah. of it's, it's a lot of it was it was a long long time um, and the BBC started doing audio dramas of uh, uh, with the old doctors and I, I really enjoyed those and I thought oh there, are there any other people doing Doctor Who audio dramas found some people online Uh, listen to their work listen to others and then uh, I've always liked ghost stories so yes I got involved with darker projects then uh, pendant audio and basically it's sort of gone from there but it's a deep-seated love of ghost stories and uh, coming in via sci-fi.
4: I I think I came to (coughs) horror probably via fantasy first I'm a my first and abiding love is fantasy. Um, I grew up on a diet of Robert Jordan and the Wheel of Time and the point horror books as well when I was a teenager. And I've just always been, um, as a writer in particular, I'm drawn to making up things because you don't have to follow the rules. So, which is why I will never write a procedural crime drama because you have to know stuff and, and everything <laughs> has to be based in an element of truth. And with horror, you can pretty much uh, invent your own landscape, invent your own world. So... Yeah, that's
1: me. Um, I mostly came to horror through convenience.
3: (laughs) Um, That is the single most (laughs) (laughs) you-centered.
1: Okay, so um, for me and horror, I I suppose I have most experience on the sci-fi side as well, actually. But in terms of horror as, as a medium, it is one that's interested me because I think it it simultaneously, people think it's the easiest one to get into because you know it's just like, oh, the tropes, they're there. You, just do, you do the tropes and you've, you've done a horror, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it also leaves you very little wiggle room between... Good horror and hot garbage which i quite like that like operating in that space but i have recently been made aware that the things that i make that aren't horror are still nightmare fuel and which is news to me i wasn't aware that's a thing now i know and so as a result i can i can work with that Um,
3: I I came to horror in a slightly weird path, one very similar to David's in many ways, uh, in that uh, most of my entry point was science fiction, coupled with the fact that I was, from a relatively young age, uh, perpetrating an elaborate genetic con. Um, (laughs) I was about six six foot by the time I was 13, and my voice broke really early. And uh, that was useful... Especially in a small rural community with a single screen cinema (laughs) and the nice old lady behind the counter who at no appointment, you're 18, aren't you, Sonny? And she just kind of assumed And so I I saw a frankly ridiculous amount of movies I had no business seeing at least five years early And it it left marks in very much a good way Uh, Horror, it horribly traumatizes you But in a good way way. Um, (laughs) This
4: explains so much
3: (laughs) Oh, and it's also partially Paul Daniels' fault uh, those of you who don't know Paul, Paul Daniels was kind of the, the, the avatar of, t- of TV stage magic in the UK for a really long time and he is one half of a very curious binary experiment with horror that the BBC carried out and which went very well and as a result they were terrified and never did it again um,
0: was this WizBit?
2: yeah uh, no,
3: Wispit is, is, is a thing of the demon realms ah. and, and not to be brought forth like YouTube whisper and we're not sorry. We're not sorry. <laughs> <Okay>. Um <laughs> Paul Daniels famously, wanted, famously did a Halloween special in the very early 1990s where he, he finished with an elaborate escape which was supposed to be him getting out of an Iron Maiden which is not him having the band fired at him at high velocity but rather a very large spiky cupboard mm. which shot on him and apparently killed him and they just didn't mention anything about it for like two hours and of course being terribly British my family and I watched this and went fairly certain we've just seen a man die do you want a cup of tea? <laughs> And and this this landed in a very similar kind of period of time to Ghostwatch. Ghostwatch, for those of you who haven't seen it, is...
0: Terrifying.
3: Terrifying. (laughs) Uh, terrifying. And it's terrifying in an insidious and really evil way. It is presented as a terrible early 90s live TV event. It's presented by the exact people you think would present a terrible early 1990s live TV event. And then about half an hour in, very slowly it starts to go to hell. (laughs) And the final sequence, which involves these words in various state, stages of combination, TV studio, flames, demonic voice, talk show host, <laughs> seared themselves into my brain. So the whole time I'm going along going, obviously I'm a science fiction guy because I like spaceships and nuns from hell. You know? And pseudopod was finally let me realize that I was a horror guy wearing a spacesuit. And (laughs) that's kind of where I am So I'm going to jump around a little bit In in order and ask Gemma My next question uh, Which is, what keeps you in horror?
4: I think the license to be as imaginative as you can you can do anything with horror, and I love that and, and I was talking to somebody um, at the stand earlier on today, so my jam is um, people based horror. I write about people first and foremost, and my main concern when I sit down and write anything is is how are the characters feeling, what are their main motivations, how do they go through their lives, and why, and the decisions and the stories grow up around the people. And sometimes the horror is almost incidental. It's something that happens around them. But with horror, you can just it's just free license to let your imagination run right. And I think that's what keeps me there. And I do dip into sci-fi and I do dip into the more kind of um, psychological thriller side of things. But I like ghosts and ghoulies and monsters and things that go bump in the night. Because you can just let your imagination go. And yeah, that keeps me, keeps me firmly grounded.
0: Absolutely. Well, everything that Gemma just said, um, but also I, I, the thing with uh, horror and especially with ghost stories is that they are timeless. Mm. They they don't have. They can be absolutely present day, but they can be so uh, yeah, timeless. Which I don't need to explain the word. Yeah. Um, but that's but horror and especially audio horror. Uh, I I love the the audio medium yeah. simply because it leaves all of the details to your imagination it it is all there and you are painting your own pictures and you can scare yourself as much as you want to with uh, what you're listening to or if it's on a book what you're what you're um, reading and so that that's that's what I like it 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 becomes a lot more personal Mm. to you as the as the the devourer of the horror Mm. if you like that's that's my yeah yeah
1: yeah For me, I'm going to give a sort of shorter-term answer, which is that, for reasons beyond my understanding, but I'm I'm happy to to know, uh, Cosmic Horror is currently basically getting in vogue, which is phenomenally useful. But um, what that also means is, oh, God, Alex has just had a a brain drop from, like... 10 years ago, okay, cool. So we have emergent culture, we have dominant culture, and we have residual culture. <laughs> As Lovecraftian horror shifts from emergent to dominant, one is left wondering, what is emergent next? Now, what I'm what I'm getting at is... <laughs> yeah, I, ju- I just channeled a 10-year younger version of me who was a pompous ass. Um, I'm very intimidated by that. <laughs> so what, what, what is interesting to me is, we all know now what's currently interesting, what's kind of in vogue and what's going there, but for horror, we are due something new. Um, the same way that sort of the, the zombie trope came in and then kind of faded and so on, we are now due one. And a lot of the time, what is due next is defined by what leaves public domain because that is what allows, uh, sorry, what enters public domain because it allows experimentation within the space. So it's like, okay, cool, this thing has become public domain. It's fair game. And in podcasting, what we are as an industry is one enormous playground where People get to make things that no one in their right mind would ever option for anything else. Right up until it's successful and go, oh, yes, we were definitely thinking about that, oh, yes, yes. (laughs) But what that means is we're due, right now, we are due a big new thing, and I don't know what it is for horror, (laughs) combined with an industry that's still able to just suddenly have 10,000 people go, I think it's this, 9,000 to be wrong, and everyone to still be having a good time and not care, you know? Like... That's why I'm here right now, if you know what I mean.
3: I'm, I'm in horror because I really like jousting with windmills, um, <laughs> especially cultural ones. I firmly believe horror is one of the most fundamentally hopeful genres of fiction there is, and it's hopeful, I think, in two very different ways. There is the Schadenfreude element, which is, well, at least that's not happening to me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also the survival element. And, I mean, I this, this is... a This is kind of an easy get, but I I think an awful lot about Cabin in the Woods and about the moral dilemma that breaks down very starkly in the final 15 minutes of that and where various characters land. And that idea, that kind of visceral interaction with ethics something which I think horror does I wouldn't say no other t- no other genre does it because I know lots of other people in those genres and I know where I live um, <laughs> but I think horror engages with it in a way that very few others do and I, I really respond to that and I've in my dark days I've found tremendous strength in horror stories
4: mm. Mm. I think yeah to add to that I think for me personally as well I have been very open about um, mental health issues and uh, my own experience. Experiences with them, and I feel like horror is a safe space—a safe space to explore that. And I think a lot of horror fans are drawn to the genre for that reason. They find actually scary stories quite comforting for their anxiety issues. I know I do. Um, but also, you can—there um, is a lot of horror to be found in the everyday and in your own struggles and in your own story. So I think that also keeps me in the genre because I write about those things. Those things interest me and I explore my own issues (laughs) through uh, (laughs) the the things that I write. So yeah, I think you're... Yeah, I agree. So
3: I I, want to pick up on something which Alex mentioned, which is the idea of the thing that's coming. Um, But two reasons, firstly, because my favourite definition of horror is William Friedkin's one of how true horror is seeing something approach. And secondly, because I'm curious... It ties very neatly into one of the things I wanted to talk about, which is, why do we think the horror audience is growing? Because it, it is.
1: Uh, I'd be happy to take a stab. Please do. Um, I Take think, several. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think <coughs> certainly one element is picking up on what Gemma was just saying, which mm-hmm. is that horror is a very useful space for you to literalise uh, issues both of the time and of a personal nature yeah. and stab them repeatedly. Yeah. Um, by which I mean... Yeah, it's really useful to have a space where allegory is not only uh, encouraged but accepted and a bloody useful tool. But what that means is, shocker, um, in times of uncertainty, horror tends to do well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's because what you are doing is, at least what you can do, this is not the only answer by any means, is you can take the big questions, you know? Are we all doomed? Maybe a bit smaller. Um, You know, like um, questions about economy, questions about mental health. Genuinely, anything that's really gnawing at people. The thing that you wake up in the morning and you have that thought again and go, and then what it does is it allows you to transcribe that onto a landscape that has A, a set of rules that you can navigate. Don't open the door. If you open the door, you, you deserve it, come on. Um, don't split up. But my point is these are, these are knowable rules which help you codify this, this weird, scary idea that you've got into something that you can navigate because we all know how stories work. So when a character is navigating that space, you are navigating it with them. And then the additional thing is it makes them conquerable. Like um, Alice was saying about survivable, is if your world is trying to kill your characters and your world is an, is an allegory for whatever you want to explore if your character's surviving that, you're taking that journey with them you're surviving the thing that you're afraid of Um, I should stress that's not the be-all and end-all of horror, in fact that's often not the way that I personally engage with horror, but I think sort of culturally speaking that probably strikes a note with a a decent number of people Cool Why of you two want to jump in?
4: I'm just trying to think of a way of phrasing it I I, I want to use the term humanist but I'm not sure that's the right to me. but it's it's the idea that um, you know we're all human and there are certain things in our lives that drive us from the day we're born to the day that we cease to be and they're quite basic things and I think and in times of hardship for example you know I've been having a bit of a shitty time in this country lately and and people revert back to those humanist principles as things to sort of comfort themselves with I, if that no, makes, does that make, make sense us, absolutely. I'm, ga- I'm gabbling i gabble it, it makes um, no knowable. yeah it's yeah and it's it's about it's about something that you can relate to i oh. think as a reader or a listener or a watcher or a consumer of any kind of media. media, And I think the popularity increases, particularly in conjunction with things like Netflix streaming and, and looking for content, and they want so much content that we're now seeing much more prevalence with horror on mm-hmm. things like TV. Uh, and I think that that goes hand-in-hand hand with podcasting and everything else. So I feel like it's a, a human-driven thing, like we want to watch and listen and consume things that remind us of ourselves, mm. if that... Which yeah. sci-fi, perhaps, you don't... It's, it's grander, isn't it? The, the scale is grander with sci-fi. It's almost
3: it? the, the payoff between pragmatism and realism. Mm.
4: Mm. You yeah. said that much more efficiently than but I did. Yours was, yours was
3: better, though. I couldn't have got there without you. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> that
4: but, that but took me exactly. ten minutes of going around the houses and you got there in, like, one second.
0: <laughs> and, and I think it also it also gives people control over um, what is what is going on in in the horror... Because, uh, as we've been saying, we've, we've not been having a, a fun time recently anywhere in the world, really. Um, and that can be very – it can give a lot of people a lot of anxiety about especially where you – you can't do anything about it. We're fed uh, news with, with a, uh, a theme tune, which is like a heartbeat, and, and we're conditioned to, um, to take in this news and, and be filled with this horror that is happening out there, and we can't do anything about it. We're, we're given the option once every, well, two years for the last four years, but once every five years <laughs> to even have a go at doing something. And that puts us in a really It's a bind, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It's, yeah. it's it's a horribly I kind helpless place. Yeah. So having the opportunity either to, to write horror and externalize or to watch it and go along with it, but also be able to stop it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Gives us that control yeah. over over some aspect of this emotional stimulus. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um Yeah, those are all amazingly great answers. I'm actually just letting all of that sink in for for a a second. All of this seems to be building up to something which we've all touched on, which is the sense of there is something coming next in the field. And I'm curious, before we get into the kind of nitty-gritty of the logistics of voice acting and kind of soliciting work and script writing and being the arch... Lich, nemesis, genius child, and all of that. Um, Not good at me. You were given a cloak today. I really don't. (laughs) I was given a cloak. I've
4: never had a cloak
0: before.
3: What do we think is next for the field?
4: I think you'll see more genre blending. I think so. For example, cosmic horror. Folk horror, cosmic folk horror, Ooh. that kind of mm-hmm. genre crossover. Stop. Cosmic it. folk horror—that's the answer. I really <laughs> <really> love that. <laughs> it's, I don't know. Coming soon from Rusty Quill. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really you good. You can't pitch. have that. That's that's, that's mine. <laughs> this is copyrighted now to me. Um, but you know, like I think people are getting much more adventurous, and also unique ideas are, are kind of few and far between now in the field there's no such thing as a unique idea everything's been done before that's why we have tropes and tropes are enjoyable for that reason and we'll be getting to them yeah (laughs) (laughs) but uh you can do uh have a new take on an old-fashioned trope and one of the ways of doing that is by blending the genre and i think that's where we'll go i think we'll see a lot more crossover between like i said those kind of sub genres if that makes Mm. sense
0: I'm, i'm certainly thinking armageddon Just in general, just in general, uh, and possibly also in fiction, and also yes, possibly. Um, Yeah, I I think that the with with films like Midsummer Mm, and uh, what was the other one. Hereditary Hereditary that's the one Uh, sort of bringing back Wicker Man style yeah I'd I'd go along with the the folk horror but I'm just thinking what's in what's out there in the world today how can that be reflected because it was about ten years ago that there was that huge swell of of, um, like weather films yeah. yeah yeah And suddenly everything was being destroyed by cold or wind or tornadoes or something. And there's just a a huge swell at the the time. And and I'm just, yeah, as we look at the world today, I think probably more personal horror. Plague stories. (coughs) Plague stories. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I I think personal slash folk slash
4: Slash, but everything cycles as well. Yeah. Yeah, Trends but, um, cycle, and you—you'll you, have, like David said, you'll have a spate of disaster movies, and then a spate of something else. Disaster. I think, disaster, that's I the think one we'll I was all for. just go through the various cycles, and then come back to slashes probably in about ten years' time. Or, if you're talking movies, yeah.
3: The, the, well. There is there is one thing I've seen a little bit of evidence for, and I, I think that this will be fascinating, which is this might we might actually be in the time period where. Um, Lovecraft is successfully contextualised his corpse separated from its bones those (laughs) bones salted and buried in multiple locations across the (laughs) earth lest it rise again Um, we we are a a couple of weeks out I think from the release of a movie adaptation of The Color Out of Space which is one of the, the genuinely very good Lovecraft stories directed by Richard Stanley who directed Hardware which is a film which feels like you have contracted a fever while you're watching it um and starring Nicolas Cage <laughs> <laughs> we, we might be off to the races here my friends uh all, all joking aside, there are multiple projects which seem to be approaching Lovecraft in a in a very kind of clear-eyed or engaged way, wild-eyed and hasn't slept for two weeks uh, way, which are engaging with the very negative elements of his past and his beliefs and finding something positive that they can tear off those bits to get to. And I would, as one of the core cool frustrations of this field, I, I often find is that it's it's tendency to feel the very strong gravitational pull of Lovecraft in particular. And I... I like new things. I I like things which have been created by people who don't look like they could conceivably be my brother or the uh, the uncle that we really don't like to talk to. I like old stuff as well. I just like new things a lot too. And I would be really interested and very hopeful to see the field kind of go in that direction.
4: I think that's a good point as well to mention representation in horror. Yes. Um, And horror diversifying through, for example, women in horror, much more um, obvious movement now of women writing horror doing very well um, and all sorts of different diverse voices latinx horror you know, the, the full works and if you hang out on twitter at all you'll see various different hashtags and and things trending and i think that will influence the genre as well hugely as we move forward
3: and even better because there's, there's always a tendency with with um, foreign language material to assume it's terribly worthy and it's not it's all there are just as many greasy cheeseburgers with foreign language subtitles on them as, as there aren't there's a netflix show called diaboleros mm. which is literally supernatural just in mexico (laughs) and is exactly as much fun as that sounds so there's so much great stuff out there and one of the upsides of the late stage capitalist consumer culture we are all trapped in is it's much easier to get to so yeah
1: if if i may i know we want to move on but you know me i can't shut up um I think at the risk of sounding like I'm trying to devalue horror, I'm not, that there is a reactionary element to horror as well, Hmm. which is one of the ways that you can see the shape of things to come in terms of horror is you look at the way of the shape of, yeah, what's, what's big at the moment and horror's going to deliberately try and do something different to that or underwhelm that or break it apart into little bits. So take a look around at you. What what are you seeing a lot of at the moment? What's well, that? Disney owns the world, uh, and it's all superheroes as far as the eye can see. My instincts say that as much as I would love a brand new monster, it's not going to happen. That's not the way it works. But what we're realistically, I think, going to start seeing is the more that we lean into this homogenized model of storytelling where um, people rejected stuff like the dark universe you know the Tom Cruise one where basically where they went cool we'll make horror the way that we make all the other stuff that we make and everyone went nope hate it yeah. don't do that and I think that As a result, if you just take whatever's there and invert it, you're at least going to start getting the shape of things, I think. Mm -hmm. Which means that I totally agree with you in that. I think you're going to start seeing probably a schism, if I'm honest, where I think you're going to see a lot of people still pushing for the huge scale, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I sneezed and the world ended. Explore. Mm -hmm. Um, But also that real nitty-gritty, grounded, focused one Mm -hmm. and bringing in some of the the more older styles, like you said, things coming back into circle where it's like, it is a very tight family drama. Mm -hmm. Where one of the characters was dead all along, or whatever. My point being that it's far more focused rather than the huge sprawling stuff which is mm. everywhere all the time.
4: I think less so perhaps with podcasting though, and with audio yeah. drama you you have much more uh, diverse material yeah. That, yeah. that tends to reach your ears before things reach your eyes on the screen. If that makes sense, yeah, yeah, think, yeah, definitely. And
3: further to that, I'm curious as to what tropes in audio in audio horror make the panel kind of sit up and pay attention? Audio specifically. Audio
4: specifically. Mm, well, I mean, we from, are a pod UK. From my perspective, probably oh. from David's, we, we are no sleep people and we, mm-hmm. we are big lovers of the creepy pasta, so creepy pasta trope I guess is a trope. Could, in, could you explain that just in case any of the audience don't know uh, what it is. So for anybody that doesn't know what creepy pastas are, they're short internet based stories um, and the no sleep podcast in particular started by adapting uh, the subreddit so there's a subreddit with a load of very short creepy stories written by whoever wanted to upload one and it it grew from there so i think um from my perspective i am very fond of a creepy pastor i'm fond of a campfire story and i think that is a trope that will never die um and you can see it with the multitude of youtube channels dedicated to it hundreds of podcasts out there that all do that kind of let's tell a scary story around the campfire it's so a
3: gleeful refusal to contextualize <laughs> that, that I, I love about them it's just here is a horrible thing that's happened Yeah. the end
4: yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much yeah and it's usually first person as well so mm. I went to the store and somebody chopped my head off at the end and it's like <laughs> and that's, that's actually really enjoyable because you can relate to it and it's very easy and quick to digest and, and you can have fun with it so I think that's my favorite that was was that the question? My yeah, favourite trope. Yeah. yeah, there yeah, we go. Yeah. I
0: got that. On, on, the, on the flip side, uh, the long form, claustrophobic, atmospheric, slow burn uh, ghost story that or, or horror that builds up over time, uh, which is definitely the Jamesian style of Shadows at the Door that we enjoy, but the white vault and things like that is, is a very claustrophobic slogan. It's, it's a bit like The Thing, but even longer. So that, that's, that's long one of the thing. things. The Long Thing, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're being filmed, Gemma. <laughs> so yes, that's... Um... <laughs>
3: I was actually just about to say, I'm really glad you brought that up. (laughs) Come again? Maybe later. Um, I'm
4: getting all hot here. (laughs) It's
3: been a long day. Um, There's actually a new version of the thing being. Is that really?
1: Yeah, another new. Bloomhouse have it. Yeah. Oh.
3: Uh, Which means one of two things: it will either be the equivalent of a (laughs) three-minute guitar solo, which is what really good Bloomhouse movies tend to be, or it will be the equivalent of three minutes of lift music guitar solo, which is what the other Bloomhouse movies tend to be.
1: Mm. Um, Very sceptical. Okay. Okay. Uh, so tropes in audio. That, okay. Here's one that I I personally like. Playing to type a little bit, which is on the sound design side. So let's go. Let's go into the audio bit hard. I really like. So I don't. It's easier to say what I don't like and then come back from there. So what I don't like is grossly overproduced. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I went up to the door. <laughs> I stepped across the floor. Clunk, 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 clunk. And it's like, great, fabulous. You found a Foley kit. Cool. What I really. Sorry, me, it's just.
2: <laughs>
1: I know. Sorry. You're a friend. Okay? That is. There, there are no specific culprits I have to mind there. But it all burns. I mean, though, is that people who feel that. You know, it, it tends to come with jump scares, you know? You know, open the door and there's a monster. Bah!
4: I like a good jump scare. See, I don't especially like... Especially with audio. But I like,
1: like an artful scare. You know, scare.
4: when you're... <laughs> okay?
1: I don't, what I don't like is, you know, welcome to the... I got you.
0: Scare me like one of your French
1: girls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah. But what I do like a lot is when people put the effort in and make something very calm very measured, very grounded and they treat the audio the same way that you treat the actual horror content itself which is the audio is perfectly normal in every way Apart from this one little thing, weird yeah. thing, mm, and like as the st- noise, <laughs> hypothetically, yeah. and as the story progresses, that one weird thing grows more prevalent. Much like the ghost in the room, you know, the M.R. Mm. James thing of you take the mm. thing in the background, you slowly make Put the background mm-hmm. overwhelm the foreground. That in sound. I love it where I listen to something and go that sounds kind of real and then I forget that I'm listening to horror for at least 15 minutes and then stuff gets weird and I realise it was weird for the last 10 minutes. Mm. That's what I like I think. But that's a very me answer. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one then. I, I mean, in,
3: in terms of kind of horror tropes that, that excite me, then any of you who were in the audience this morning know that any story which involves letters and a sea monster, I'm dying happy, frankly. Um, in terms of stuff which uh, audio drama, audio horror podcasts do very well, um, honestly, everything the people on this panel produce... Has something in it which I really, really respond to. No sleep's wonderful ability to not only commit to creepy pastor as an aesthetic, but as an approach, and the way that they use that to filter the lens of old school 1950s EC horror comics. Mm-hmm. You know, where again it, it's just that here's a horrible thing. Can we stop it?
1: No. <laughs> 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 yeah, <me> <laughs> Alistair um, at 2020. <laughs> <laughs> That's your uh, takeaway for this panel. <laughs>
3: uh, the White Vault, which is genuinely one of the best slow burn horror stories I've ever encountered, where you get to the end of the first season and go, I'm terrified. Five things have happened, <laughs> but I'm terrified. <laughs> uh, it, it's really an true. amazing show. Yeah. Uh, Calling Darkness, which... Yeah, it, it's we,
4: we kind of take all of those tropes and gleefully stuff them into every single episode, as many as we can get in, so that we can make fun of them. <laughs> and
3: you have a self aware narrator as well. And we do have a self aware narrator. As, as a kid narrator, who, who yeah. grew up watching Danger Mouse, self aware narrators are, are, are it for me. They're, they're just so <laughs> great. How
4: is that your go to? Yeah. <laughs> to? Did you never see the
3: old school Danger <laughs> Mouse? No, I
4: do. It's just of all the choices. <laughs>
3: okay. We don't have time to explain how Danger Mouse is an archetypal piece of late 20th century horror. Leave it with me. Uh, also, MR um, James. I mean, I, I know I was busting an old dead white guy's earlier. Well, Lovecraft, because it's Lovecraft, screw him. Um, but MR James is if you're going to do horror stories, do MR James, for, ghost stories, for do MR James, for God's sake, because he wrote hundreds of them, and they're all great. You know, and those those four shows and the one I do because I also do a horror show uh, do a really really good job of, of kind of exploiting some of the really interesting and positive elements of the field and doing it in fun and varied ways and I mean I if you don't, if, if there are any of these shows that you don't listen to and you're remotely interested in the field you really should because you'll find something incredibly different to what you already encounter and some of it you'll hate and some of it will lead you down roads you never thought you'd go down and you'll find out much more about your tastes and I love that stuff as a journalist and as a podcaster it's an endlessly positive experience for me and that leads me on to one of my last questions which is uh, I'm going to put my panel on the spot spot a little bit here and ask them to talk about one or two of the shows they listen to but not all of them and (laughs) why they like them and Mr. Newell has Thinky Finger, which leads me to believe he's imminent, so Oh no, don't mind me. Okay. <laughs> audio specifically. Ideally audio specifically. And I'm, horror you know, specific? Wow. Well, uh, horror specific, if possible. If we could stick to what if if we could stick to audio drama as kind of the outer boundary, that would be great. Oh, and we're gonna do questions for about the last 10-15 minutes, if anyone has.
4: I was a big black tapes fan before anything else, so Black Tapes was a uh, long form single story and you can really and it, uh, every episode had a new layer and a new scary element to it um, and we won't talk about the ending but we will talk about I, the fact that they re-released the last series and uh, renamed the last episode the mid-season finale so there is hope mm. um, there's, there's
3: more of it yeah there's like yeah. six more you now yeah.
4: are they out now yeah, yeah. <gasps> They dropped basically happy now, so days okay. um, so I, I, I mean i I've listened to so many podcasts it's impossible for me to talk about all of them but um, I'm a huge no sleep podcast fan actually like I write for the show but I, I was a fan first and foremost and there's thousands of hours of content that I wade through I listen to Shadows at the Door um, I listen to The White Vault I listen to Magnus I listen to Pseudopod I listen to pretty much All those names that you know and love. I also... A non-horror one which really influences me, which I know we're not supposed to talk about, is a little show by uh, Ian Chillag called Everything is Alive which is a series of interviews with inanimate objects. And the first episode is about a can of Coke called Louis, and his main desire in life is to be drunk. He's been kept in the back of the cupboard for 20 years or something, and it's the most existential stuff I think I've (laughs) I've ever listened to. And actually, I I like to diversify because I think horror should be informed by different genres and stuff as well. So that's me getting myself out of the way. (laughs) I think I have, like... 1.1.
1: 1.1. 1. 1. Bear with me on this one. Follow me. Um, so for, for the one, it's an easy one, although it, it feels like a trite answer for a panel, which is um, pseudopod because... I was listening to pseudopods before I'd ever made anything, um, and pseudopod does one thing specifically really, really well, better than anyone, which is curation specifically. And what that means is... If you're interested in the field, you can just tune in and pick a random smorgasbord of the pseudopod stories and go, that's interesting, I've not seen that. I know that, I know that. Ooh, what's that? But my point is, is that it is someone going out there and going, you should see this. You should see this. It's like having your own dedicated personal librarian for the genre. That's cool. I liked that. I also enjoy making Alistair awkward, so I will continue. Um, but it is what's useful is, because of the very nature of the, the format, that anthology of, of shorter of fictions, and the occasional slightly long, longer, is it exposes you to far more very quickly. Uh, so if I'm being brutally honest in a way he doesn't know, I learned horror from him and Pseudopod. Shh the point yeah. the trick is to look this way <laughs> um, and my, my point one is going to be one where I think people would be shocked to know this of me, I found the very initial stages of Welcome to Night Vale very interesting mm. and yeah. um, I think as it progressed, as any project does when it progresses over a certain length of time it begins to um, what's the word uh, Like I'm trying to say it in a way that doesn't sound horrible like ocellite that's not right like it's thank you yeah what it does is it goes this works so that comes up again mm. and then that comes up again but the longer that you run you run out of options unless you grab two things smash them together and hope that something comes out mm. but very early night fail where it didn't really know what it wanted to be yet tried a far more interesting line for me Exploring. and it took some real hard turns where it was like i'm happy i'm happy i'm happy everything's terrible <laughs> and it was just like, yeah. whoa! <laughs> Especially genuinely, like the first five or so, genuinely, I was like, oh, what are you?
0: Mm. Excellent. And there was a British version of that called Gallotree. Welcome to Gallotree, yeah. which is still going now, but it's it is the British version of Night Vale. Mm. It certainly started that way. Uh, I had to get my iPod <laughs> out to just to look through my podcast list, and the one that I've I've sort of zoned in on is called Down Below the Reservoir. Which, oh good choice It's beautiful It is horror and poetry Smashed together with a gorgeous Irish brogue <laughs> So it, it is the most poetic podcast That does horror So that's, that, that would be my, my suggestion The Caledonian Gothic was similar for, for the Scots um, But Down Below the Reservoir was, would, actually, would, would absolutely be my, my choice um, just having a look through Unseen Hour which is horror plus The Goon Show yeah. which is fantastic um, yeah Darkest Night yeah, Darkest, Darkest, Darkest Night, Night was yeah. brilliant um, yeah blah 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 Hidden Frequencies which is uh, kind <coughs> of yeah uh, that's oh what's his it's Mick yes yeah, it's, it's Mick but what what's the <laughs>
4: oh it's yeah uh, Hidden it's Frequencies it's the TV version like the, Twilight Zone sort Twilight of style, Zone yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Hidden horror frequencies. scripting yeah yeah
3: Mm -hmm. Excellent. I I have a couple. Um, There are two produced by the same company uh, with this funny name, Zoom Doom. Uh, One is a show called Mirrors, which is initially a ghost story, and it's a ghost story set in three different time periods with uh, the 1960s, 2080, and 2019, with three different women being haunted by the identical ghosts. Mm -hmm. And the second season does one of the best jobs of unpacking and exploring and rebuilding a premise I've ever encountered. It's extraordinarily good. And Zoom Doom have this incredible capability to take a, a very simple premise and do unbelievable stuff with it. The other show is a thing called The Six Disappearances of Ella McRae. And it's about um, a young woman on a family holiday, and she steps, they go out for a hike, she steps up onto a rock, and she dies, or she disappears. Or suddenly they're in a desert and she's walked off. Or she's abducted by someone. Or suddenly they're in a New York street and she's run over and killed. And six people witness her disappear at the same time. None of them can agree on what happened. And it is the closest to a modern version of Picnic at Hanging Rock I have ever encountered. It has that monolithic sense of something completely supernatural and alien just under the surface and I really respond to that. Uh, There's also a show which I've been frantically googling for the last five minutes and maddeningly that I can't remember the name of. Uh, I'll I'll put it on on my Twitter feed and hashtag it with uh, the the hashtag so hopefully you folks can find it which is um, a Canadian series about a small town with a local monster
4: Oh is that Blackwood?
3: I believe it might be yeah now yes. I listened to
4: that that was yes. really very good um, yes. superb production quality oh I god thought. yeah and and again um, just yeah. unpacks
3: itself so beautifully yeah really very time.
4: nice it's a tale of um, local teenage journalists kind of exploring the local monster mm. yes um, and it's done brilliantly but I don't actually think there's a second series I, I'm not mm. sure like,
3: I will dig in because I might yeah, be thinking yeah, of yeah. another one as well and we'll, we'll yeah, I'll yeah. put both on the feed yeah. Um I would like to thank my incredible panel for being as exactly as erudite and articulate <laughs> and perceptive as I knew they would be. Uh, and we're going to throw the floor open to questions, if anybody has... Oh
4: we wow. ha- is that one of those throw mics? Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Do you want to throw it? I had yes, those last year. Oh, wow. Thank you.
3: It's spongy, Mike. Okay, for those of you who don't know, this is a throwable microphone. It's really hard and heavy. It's squishy. <laughs> And uh, I I cover these things quite openly. <laughs> uh, who would like to? ask a question? Yes.
4: Um, I don't do horror. Like my family, my family would genuinely. When I said, "Oh, I'm listening to the Magnus Archives," my family went, "What's that?" And I said, "It's a horror podcast." And they all went, "Who are you? And what have you done with Kai?" <laughs> so what what do you think? Because because I've spoken to other people as well, and they don't they they don't do they don't touch like movies or TV that is horror but they found that they've really enjoyed things like Magnus Archives and, and Pseudopod and the and other horror podcasts. Do you think do you think that there's anything that in particular brings people into this specific way of of presenting horror or
0: Uh, The number of people that have said that they fall asleep listening to the No Sleep podcast (laughs) is amazing. (laughs) Even I fall asleep listening (laughs) to the No Sleep podcast. It can be very
4: chill. It's very relaxing. Exactly.
0: And and, uh, part of what you were saying earlier, Alex, about um, uh, about the, the audio production not being... Too um, sort of smash or, or, or too jarring. It, it's it's basically like going back to childhood and um, and having a story being read to you mm-hmm. as as you go to sleep. But um, yeah, that, it was just amusing that.
4: I think there's a lot to be said for how much control you have as a listener. Yeah. And I think when you're watching a film, when you're in a movie, uh, a cinema, watching a movie. There are no trigger warnings. There is no respect for your particular personal traumas or any of that. You're either in there or you're not. With, with podcasting, and with audio drama, you can choose to engage on whatever level you wish. And I think a lot of people are able to access and consume horror uh, in audio format more comfortably than they can in other mediums if that makes sense I, think, I also think the community, the audio community cares a lot yes. more about those sorts of things I know when we, we do Calling Darkness um, we, we have a, an intro that sort of states that there are some certain themes, it's a comedy show but there are still themes that you, you might not want to engage with and I, th- I think as a listener you should have as much control as you, you need so that you enjoy what you're doing instead of you know, feeling unnecessarily unsettled or upset and I think
1: combined with that as well is, and it's been brought up a few times today, which is that uh, podcasting as a medium is probably one of the most intimate entertainment products you can really engage with because it's happening now. Yeah. Um, so as a result, building what you just said, what you have is control of the situation so you can bail, take a break, or skip chunks and it'll be fine, yep. combined with the most one of the most immediate ways to engage in the genre. Mm. Um, I think there's some interesting stuff being done in VR, in fairness, which hits the same boat, mm. where you can just go, nope, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll get back to it and it's still immediate yeah. but I, th- I think podcasting does that in a way that is, doesn't require an outlay of you know, £4,000 um, mm-hmm. and I, I think it, a combination of those factors mm-hmm. certainly yeah. make it a lot more accessible yeah.
3: I'd like to, to build on all, all the other stuff the panellists have said and add in as well the, the fact that podcasting is, there's always a, a kind of very pleasingly subversive element to listening to a podcast because it's both intimate and passive, you can be doing something else as well Mm, and yeah. more than once with, with certain shows I've got to a not sure I like this, I'm going to take the headphones off and concentrate on the washing up. Yeah. And it, it becomes, a, as everyone has said, the control is very much in your hands mm. all the way through and I really dig that. Yeah. There's also an element, because it
2: is, uh, the audio media is, is uniquely visual in your own mind. does your own mind provide its own filter mechanism whereby the visual, uh, film, etc. You get shock, horror, stabby, stabby, something that, that's possibly overwhelming, and the, and the kind of thing that you, you know, it's being imposed upon you, rather than you drawing it from within your own experience, and your brain it with its own protections in it. Hence, it gives you that level of protection to, to, yeah. to the point you love, or are just at the edge where you're as
3: uncomfortable as you want to be. Mm. You, the, the volume control is always in your hand. It is kind of great. Mm. Who's next? <laughs>
4: so bad um, you said earlier about uh, pod horror being kind of uh, getting involved with other genres do you think uh, in terms of audio drama there's a chance that other mediums within the genre will kind of get involved like stuff like um, RPG podcasts and like improv do you think there's a chance, obviously there's a lot of uh, horror elements in those uh, especially cool gaming. I guarantee I guarantee <laughs> somebody so is out there making that show right now. <laughs> there's, or there's I am there's aware so, of these. I'm aware of at least yeah. one. <laughs> Podcasting is so accessible. It really, really is. You need a room full of friends or you can be a lone operator, you need a halfway decent mic, access to a bit software as a starting point. I'm not saying that those are the things that you should stay with throughout your podcasting career, but it's incredibly accessible. It's a lot easier to make a podcast than it is to go off and write a book, trust me, I know, or to uh, make a movie, you know, in terms of initial outlay and how you can teach yourself to do things. So I guarantee, yes, there will be, It's it, because it's so much more accessible, it's so much easier to experiment with those other mediums and and yeah, there's got to be at least ten of those out there now. <laughs> By now. Though to play
1: devil's advocate, on yeah. the flip side of the coin, there is an aspect to consider, which is, I'm not a fan of horror. Okay, cool. So that means that let's let's assume I am not a fan of horror. You're not going to listen to this thing. I am not a fan of gaming. Therefore, you're not going to listen to this thing the danger that always comes with a genre blend is, the dream is oh, the fans of this will engage with the fans of this, great. There is a dark side to that, which is that your horror fans don't like gaming so they don't listen, and your gaming fans, they don't like horror so they don't listen, and then you're left with Gary and,
4: and Gary but, is lovely I, you know the, the, the joy of podcasting is not everyone has to like it if you want to make a podcast for Gary then go knock yourself out and I'll tell you up. what
1: Gary like, will Gary adore love you, you forever and, because you made the perfect yeah. show as you far as Gary's concerned. Ma- right,
4: nobody makes a podcast to make money or be famous come on that's like that's the number <laughs> right so you make it because you love it you make it because it's a passion project and that's why you should pretty much do everything creative i think and so if you want to make that super niche thing then you you know somebody will make it and yeah yes is the answer
3: (laughs) if no one in this room is using the term using the hashtag justice (laughs) for (laughs) gary
4: poor gary Um, so the BBC have belatedly got into horror mm. podcasts. Mm. Have you listened to the Case of Charles Dexter Ward and the Whisper in Darkness? And if so, mm. what did you think
3: of them? I I've I listened to The Case of Charles Dexter Ward, and I really liked it. Um, like I was saying earlier, my my kind of entry level with with Lovecraft is: are you doing something strange with it, which would probably have pissed him off. <laughs> 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 really what the hell Italian. you know um, just, And, and I, I really liked its willingness to completely engage with a very modern storytelling framework and to with the kind of weird and lumpy bits of the story. So yeah, my, my initial thing was, oh, it's, it's Charles Dexter Ward again. Great.
0: And then I listened to it and was very pleasantly surprised. So yeah, I, I really dug that. I, I very much enjoyed it, uh, but I also thought, we've been doing this for years
4: yeah i haven't and i think my i'm so invested in indie podcasting and in um yeah independent producers and genres that i i i I consume so many podcasts that it's difficult sometimes to to go to the more commercially does that make sense like yeah
1: Uh, i have to confess i also haven't listened to it but not for any reason beyond, I didn't get around to listening to it. Um, I'm quite disorganised in how I spend my leisure time,
3: so it's, it's also worth pointing time? out. Alex sleeps 15 minutes out of every 37
1: hours. <laughs> but recently achieved a high score in Beat Saber, so my my, my work life balance is. Oh.
0: <laughs> um, with the growth of things like the BBC Murmurs podcasts, where they're sort of seeking out independence, do you think there's a Um, Horror podcasting is influencing Beyond the immediate genre uh, Outside podcasting Or or with the big publishers
1: Yes Alex (laughs) 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 I'm happy to say that Um, I think what Some of the bigger players Are starting to notice Is that the interest is there And if the interest Is not catered to Mm. It will cater to itself and that's what's been happening um, Gary really wanted that gaming horror show mm-hmm. Gary made that show, turns out a lot of people wanted Gary's show Gary does well um, I think that it's reached the point now where not just in horror but in other mediums as well genre fiction in general I'd say is sort of hitting its stride really um, certainly in terms of bouncing into, into larger like production spaces um, and I think it's a case of Let's, let's all be horrible, cynical, sceptical bastards like me. People like money. Successful things are more likely to make money. As a result, you can expect that if the thing that you like has become popular, larger entities are going to start getting more invested in it. I should say that I'm kind of separating out BBC a little bit because it doesn't really have the need for money in the same way. It, kind of survives on its own but certainly on the um the private side you're going to start seeing more of like um bad example it's not horrible you know like wolverine the long night and all, all of that kind of thing because because they they know that yeah they know the demand is there mm-hmm. and you're going to start seeing bigger players starting to just make more of the shows that you would normally associate with indies and especially in podcasting and to some extent you have already seen that with luminary yeah. um good example of a yeah. poor execution absolutely yeah
4: Yeah, I agree. I think I think if you're a statistician and you're looking at download figures, and you look at some of the biggest shows out there and see that a lot of them are in the genre, then it makes sense to cater to that in your own audience. I don't. Again, I'm I'm hesitant because I'm not as experienced with the kind of uh, the BBC side of audio um, as I'd like to be. But that's, yeah, I agree.
0: <laughs> we are two minutes off the end of our time. David, you have an answer for that? I, I was just going to say, yeah, it, it seems like we are, uh, in in a way, the sort of proof of concept stage mm. for these bigger companies to come in and, uh, and make their money off it. Um, so... That was basically all I was going to say, because yeah, you saw uh, that was it. Remembered Lime Town made the jump from podcasting oh, yeah, to yeah. to the TV to, to g- Facebook. Yeah. To, yes, to Facebook, but, <laughs> to um, sell one soul for yeah. power, Richard Bird for Wales. <laughs> um, but again, it's proof of concept. It works. It gets taken up. Yeah, yeah exactly. It fails. And
4: law as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and law. Yes, which is done spectacularly. Yeah. So, I think we have about um, <laughs>
3: 75 seconds left. So, Ella, if your question is very short.
4: Oh, I got to catch it. <laughs> How would you characterize the relationship between comedy and horror, please? <laughs> uh. <laughs> 75
1: seconds,
4: okay. <laughs> uh. Uh, As a writer of a comedy horror show, the relationship is incredibly important. I think if you want to scare people, making them laugh within five-minute breath of scaring them is really, really important. You take them to the top and then you smash them down. Um, I I very much enjoy poking fun at tropes um, and littering rude jokes with squishy sound effects. Um, it's, It's very effective and I think it's an incredibly important relationship. It's my quick answer. <laughs> uh,
1: I think they are two genres that both rely on uh, format, format structure, and sort of theatrical grammar, as in you know, setup and beat and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a result, they are simultaneously uh, compatible and incompatible. In that, if those two formats are layered on top of one another and synced up correctly, you will get something wonderful. And normally, a very black comedy will go. Oh, really hit you. However, if you lay the not poorly and that theatrical grammar doesn't line up, what you end up with is set up, set up, beat, 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 set, beat, and it's just like, this is a garbage mess. Um, and I think it's one of those things where it's wonderful if it goes well, but you have to be very um, structurally, like, deft to make it work. I just say it's all about timing. That's a way better way to put it.
3: And for me, it's still a symbol crash if the symbol is covered in blood.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Why am I even
3: here, Alistair? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm deli- and everybody else, I'm delighted to inform you that not only have we finished on time, but we have finished the end of one of the absolute highlights of my day. Thank you so much to my remarkable panel of ridiculously talented creatives. <laughs> this is we applaud them, please. <laughs> and to you, who a fantastic, fantastically receptive audience, who have given us some of the best questions we've had all day.
1: And you, Alistair, of fantastic fantabulous erudite host unlike myself apparently. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike 4.0 international license. For more information, visit rustyquill.com. Tweet us at The Rusty Quill, visit us on Facebook, or email us at mail at rustyquill.com. Thanks for listening.
4: Hi,
2: everyone. It's Kareem, the voice of Simon Fairchild and the Eternal Tavern Keeper. Today, I'm here to tell you about Devisor a podcast on the RQ Network. Divisor is a dark science fiction audio drama with elements of horror from Harlan Guthrie, the mastermind behind the unsettling and addictive series Malevolent. In this immersive tale, we follow Sun, a young man who awakens aboard a spaceship bound for Earth on a mission to recolonize a desolate planet. However, Sun's journey takes a sinister turn, and he discovers unsettling truths about his world and himself. The entire series is available for you to listen to now. Search for Divisor wherever you listen to podcasts. That's D-E-V-I-S-E-R. Or visit www.divisor.ca or www.rustyquill.com for more information.